So, you know, growing up, uh, I remember there was a lot of talk about uh, things like world peace, a lot of discussion about the possibility of world peace. For whatever reason, I guess in the 80s or so, it seemed like the sense of like maybe we can have world peace, maybe we're close to achieving world peace. Uh, I remember uh, one of the things that really symbolizes this in my mind was this thing called Hands Across America. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember that, any of you who are. Uh, the idea was that uh, people are going to hold hands all the way across America from coast to coast. And almost as, as a symbol of people coming together, uh, a symbol of what's possible of world peace. Uh, I don't hear many people talk that way anymore. <laughs> I haven't heard much language uh, or, or much discussion about world peace uh, in, in, in recent years. And I think it's because we come to the point where we've settled and accepted that really uh, all the time, all around us, there's, there's problems, there's issues, that our world, our society has persistent problems, persistent issues. Um, we never go long. Uh, we never go a year, maybe even a month, without some notice of conflict, of war happening somewhere. Um, over the, just, just this past year, what, what are some of the things we've seen generally in our world? We've seen uh, shootings in schools. We've seen cases of sexual abuse and harassment. We've seen breakdowns in the legal system that especially have affected poor minorities. We've seen people suffering and dying, sometimes because of just a lack of simple health care. Um, now, those are just general things I think we can observe in different ways over the last year. At a more personal level, there's issues and problems. Uh, we know to live in this world is to have relationships that over time, anyone who's any relationship of some kind will face issues of, of jealousy, of selfishness, of gossip, of cheating, of anger, um, all around us. We see these things. We're aware of these things. And so we think of, of, of all the kind of things I just described, generally, personally, there's a, a biblical concept that helps us sort of understand all those things. And, and that biblical concept is sin. So I want to sort of think about this morning. To understand what they are, why they exist, sin is the concept the Bible gives us that we believe in in this church to understand sort of what I would call the persistent default state of our world. The way our world is, the way it operates, is because of what the Bible calls sin. So how should we think about sin and understand sin? We've got we to start with the origin of sin. Where does sin come from? Here's how our statement of faith says it in, in the first sort of sentence of the statement of faith. We believe that Adam, made in the image of God, perverted that image by falling into sin through Satan's temptation. And in so doing, forfeited his original blessedness. So, uh, we said this previous weeks, God creates the world good. He makes Adam and Eve the first human beings, and they were created to reflect God, to live in relationship with God, to live in the goodness of God and the goodness of his creation. That's what they were meant for. And as you think of Adam and Eve, let's, let's remember this. So God creates everything good. That includes Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were created to be like the ideal human beings. Like, sometimes we think, like, if I was there, I would have, like, done differently. No, you would not have. Right? God did not create you. He created Adam and Eve, right? There's a reason why. Because Adam and Eve were created to perfectly, fully represent humanity. To be the best representation of us, right? To be able to represent us. Here is the ideal couple set up by God to be in relationship with God and relationship with one another and relationship with humanity. Like, they were, they were created good and created good to be in the role that they were put there for. And so that's why, I think it's striking, isn't it, that even with the best possible setup, 
with the ideal human beings you could want, a break happens. What's that break? Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve essentially did not trust God. God said, here's the world. It's good. Be in relationship with me. And Adam and Eve didn't trust God, disbelieved God, didn't trust the good that he had for them. They trusted in themselves and believed the lie that was given to them by Satan. And a break happens. So the Bible says that's the beginning of what we call sin in our world, what we might describe as original sin. Sin begins here, and, and that original sin becomes what we, you might think of it as like a stain on the human soul. Right? So if you've ever had like a really bad coffee stain and how hard it is to get out, like, like sin is like that on the human soul. Right? Sin begins with Adam and Eve and then becomes part of every single human soul. It becomes part of this general default tendency of every single human being ever since to not listen to God, to not trust God in the same way Adam and Eve did. Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin. So death spreads, sin spreads. So it, we, we start here because I think it just helps us realize sometimes you think of sin, it's like, it's like a bad habit. Right? I've got a bad habit. You know, I, I, I don't know, chew my fingernails or something. I've got I to stop doing it, right? That, that's, that's actually not where we should start when we think of sin. Sin is, is like this fundamental state of being, right? This, this, it's, almost, it's almost like cancer cells of the human soul, right? That every human soul comes in this world with these, these cancer cells of sin in us. And, and for some of us, some people, the, 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 it's, spread, it's spreading everywhere, right? It's, it's rampant. Other of us, are, we're in remission at different points in our lives. But they're there, right? The sin is there. It's that basic tendency to not listen to God, not follow God. It's there. And, and so that's sort of where we start off with, but then, of course, it shows itself in a lot of different ways. In the Bible, so here's this sort of basic state, but then it gets expressed in some particular ways. And so let me just going to go through a list of, of biblical ways in which the Bible talks about sin, ways in which we express this sort of stain that's on our souls. Um, so what are some of the ways the Bible describes sin? Number one, uh, missing the mark. Uh, missing the mark. This is the most common description of sin um, in the Bible. It's, it's almost 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Um, so missing a mark is, is, think of it as like, here's a direction God wants us to go. Right? God says, go in this direction, and we aim in a different direction. Like we, we, we deliberately miss the target. So God says, go in this direction, which is direction of loving people and caring for your neighbor. And we say, I'm going to go in the direction of ignoring my neighbor, distrusting people, mistreating people, ignoring people. Um, missing the mark, right? That's sin, right? That's that's us not going the direction God wants us to. What's another example? Um, breaking God's law. Um, another way of describing this is like a, a, a trespass or transgression. Um, so here's God's commands, right? And we break them. We don't follow them, right? Very simple. Here's what God says to do, and we don't do them. Now, to draw this out a little bit more, it, this, to break God's law isn't just like, okay, here's something God says to do, and we, don't, we, we break it, right? So God says don't lie, and we lie, right? This type of sin is also done in, we say, the sin of commission and also a sin of omission. It's also expressed when the opposite, really, of, of God saying don't lie is not tell the truth. Speak truth into the people in your lives. And so sin is also when we fail to do that. When there's true things to say, maybe good and right and helpful things to say, maybe to your sister or your brother, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your wife, your husband. Just good and true things that would help them, and you don't say it. You're, you're, you're apathetic about it. 
Bible says that's, that's sin as well. That's also breaking God's law. God's law isn't just don't do this. It's do this instead. It's when we fail to do that. We I'll also add, it's also when we say, I'm going to do the right thing, but we do it from wrong motives. So I'm going uh, to speak the truth here, but I'm going to do it from a, a mean heart. Right? I'm going to do it with, with bad motives, bad intentions, with a sense of pride over myself. Right? That's also breaking God's law. Right? When we fail to do the things that God calls us to, and, but we also, we, we do them, but we do them with wrong intentions. We're breaking God's law. We're transgressing. Another expression of sin that's on our list here is rebellion. So this idea that God is the rightful authority over life. So here's, like he, he legitimately is God, legitimately king over our lives, over the world. And we revolt against that. We don't give God the honor and respect that he's due. Sin is us rebelling against God. We don't submit to him as we should. Um, idolatry. Um, that's us putting our hope and trust and confidence in something other than God. Here's this, this place in your life that God should occupy and you put something else there or someone else there. And you let it be occupying that, that spot. And God's like, no, that's, not my, that's my spot. <laughs> Idolatry is us trying to take God out and put something else there. Sin, biblically speaking, is also described as a kind of selfishness. Where we prefer our own choices, our own desires instead of God. We put them over and against God. Here's what I desire. Here's what I want to do. And I choose that rather than thinking, here's what does God desire for me? What does God want for me? Two more here, self-determination. Oh. Let me quote from Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So self-determination. So I'm going to determine the way I want to go. I've decided I'm not even paying attention to God. I'm not even saying here's where God wants and I'm going to go opposite. I'm just like, I'm, he's out of the picture. I've determined the way I want to go. Here's how I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to fit all the pieces. That's one of the things I've, I've noticed happens so often with people I talk to where I'm trying to convince them not to go in a certain direction. And it's clear, like, no, I'm going in this direction and I'm going to fit everything around me to make sure, to confirm this is the direction I'm going to go. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Here's what I'm going to do. It's a self-determination. It's, it's living a life sort of independent from anyone or anything. Last one here is self-adultery, uh, spiritual adultery. The Bible talks about sin as almost as like this betrayal. Like it's really actually really striking. Like like you've cheated on God. We so look at places like Ezekiel. The book, whole book of Hosea is of, is about God's people basically cheating on God. God is supposed to be in a sense married to His people. They're supposed to, which is to say, they're supposed to be faithful, loyal to the Lord, but instead we're unfaithful. What we see in Hosea is true for humanity in general. We're unfaithful. We we don't we're not loyal and committed, faithful to God. See, we see here is, is, and this is not an exhaustive list. I could list other things. But here's all the different ways in which the Bible wants us to understand what sin is. This break we have with God. But also, let's sort of speak to then the scope of sin as well. That we should understand that sin, here's all the different ways in which we, we, we sin. But sin has a very broad scope as well. Sin is also uh, something we commit at an individual level. This just is an obvious one, right? So personally, we sin. We sin uh, and the things we say and the things that we do uh, and the way we feel and our attitudes, our motives, right? So I think we're, we all get that one. Sin happens at that personal level, but sin also happens at the social communal level as well. That sin is something that we see in our society, right? That, and it doesn't mean that like when, when I talk about sort of communal sin or social sin, I'm not talking, saying everyone in the community is equally guilty of a particular sin. But what I'm saying though is that sin is of such a nature that when one or two people of particular sins are acting or living in a way that's opposite what God wants, it, it like spreads, right? It affects everyone. It has consequences on everyone. 
So imagine like a community, a school, a church, and there's two or three cases of abuse that get discovered. And those who knew about it didn't handle it. What, what happens? What's the reputation of that school or that church? It's terrible, right? Not, not, not everyone acted, right, in this way, but the sin of those few people affects the whole community, right? The whole school, the whole church. The guilt of consequences fall on everyone, even though maybe there's just a few who actually committed the sin. So a biblical example of this is the story of Achan. So uh, Achan uh, is part of God's people. They're, they're going into the promised land, and they're, they're, they, um, they're meant to, uh, to not take anything in this one particular battle, not keep anything for themselves. Achan doesn't do that. He keeps some stuff for himself. He's like, oh, man, look, these are new shoes here. <laughs> this, look at this jewelry. This, this is a new phone. This, I mean, he's all this stuff, right? He wants it. And God said, don't keep any of it. Like, burn all of it. Achan keeps it for himself. And so there's huge consequences for the whole people as a result of this. They lose their next battle terribly. And so Joshua, who's the leader of the people, is talking to God about it. And here's what God says. God says, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted, the, some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Technically, Achan is the, only, is the one specifically who did it. Except God says they. They did this. They did this. Israel has done this. Achan's sin was of a particular nature that it affected everyone. Corporate responsibility, communal responsibility. Sin can act that way. Sin can be like that. That's how insidious it is. That it can affect not just us, but my sin can affect my spouse. It can affect my family. It can bring all of us under guilt before God. Lastly there, we can also mention that sin can happen at a structural level, which is to say that it almost gets in the very culture of our world, the institutions of our world. So 1 Kings 14, 16 says this, And he, God, will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He sets up these idols, and for generations, people worship those idols. Generations. He was long gone, and people were still following those idols. What happened? It became part of their culture. Like, there was some good, there's, there's good people, good prophets and others, part of that society over the course of time, but it became part of their culture, part of their world. They followed these idols. Became, sin became sort of embedded in the very structure of their society. Uh, Amos 5.12 says this. For I, know, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who affect the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. So back in ancient times, the gate was like the Wall Street and the municipal court of the city. Right, so you went to the city gate. That's where you did your business. That were uh, you know, your business deals. That's where you you, you did the, the court cases happened there. Uh, legal documents got signed at the gate. So what, what's 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 being said here? What, what's what's God saying here? He's saying basically, Amos is saying, the court and legal system has become institutionally sinful. Right? At the gate, it's come to the point where the legal system is allowing people to get away with bribes. It's allowing needy people. It's it's permitting needy people to not be able to get justice, creating conditions where the needy are not able to get justice. Obviously, a recent example uh, for us uh, of, I might say, social and institutional is where we're at now with abortion. If you think about abortion, abortion is, the reason I think we've seen some of the uproar and discussion, et cetera, is abortion is not just a personal thing, right? 
often we sort of want to think about it personal. The reason I think we're seeing the effects of it and, and the ways in which people are dealing with it is abortion, what it is, is it's a sin that operates at social and structural levels. It's broader than just sort of an individual thing. And that's why we're dealing with it at a, at a, at a, broader, at a broader level. So if you look at this, the Bible is using all these different descriptions, all these different ways to capture the full range and effect of this concept called sin. Uh, and, and in all this, I think what it's helping us see is sin really, first of all, is ultimately about this break with God. That sin is about this relationship with God that breaks, that disintegrates. And when there's a break with God, there's a break within us. Break relationship with God is a break in who you are, your understanding of who you are and how you're to live in this world. So this is all the different ways God wants us to understand what sin is and understand that break that happens. The Bible then sort of tells us more about sin, and it tells us more in terms of helping us then understand the full consequences of that. When there's a break with God, there's consequences. When there's a break in yourself, a break in like how you're supposed to be, right? So we're supposed to be in a relationship with God in a certain way. When that breaks, that breaks something in you. So we should explain some of the consequences that we see in our own lives. So what are some consequences? First, some consequences when we think of the break with God. Sin alienates us from God. By alienation, it means like it, it separates us from God. That's a consequence of sin. When we sin, we, we fall away from God. So if you think, I want you to think about it this way. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I want to fall away from God. Like, I don't want to, anyone telling me what to do. Um, well, think about who God is. God is the source of things like love and joy and peace. The source of it, the origin of it. When you fall away from God, when you're alienated from God, you're falling away from love and joy and peace. God tells you what to do and shows you what to do so that, yes, you honor him. And by honor him, you find what you were meant for, love and joy and peace. When we sin, a consequence is we fall away from that. Think of love and joy and peace as like this rock, right? So if you have God, it's like you're holding on to a rock. And a rock is solid, right? If you have God, you have love, joy, and peace in your life as solid as a rock, right? It's not going anywhere. But us having love and joy and peace on our own, we're trying to get on our own, so I have this water bottle. Imagine like trying to hold on to water, right? Um, I can't, I, well, I, it's, my hand is wet, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna get something from it, right? But that's not the same as holding on to a rock, is it? Like it's us trying, to, you trying to get love and joy and peace on your own is like me pouring water into my hands and trying to hold on to it. You'll get something. I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who's going to suggest that, like, people who don't believe in God, don't follow God, have no love, no joy, no peace in their life. They do. They have something. But the water dries out eventually. Right? It, it, it's not as solid and firm and secure, able to last no matter what's going on in your life, no matter in the good times and the bad times. That's the kind of love and joy and peace God gives us, something that lasts, something that's forever, because God is forever. There's a reason why people in this world without God or people who, who are sinning and falling away from God, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, there's a reason why we have trouble holding on to those things. And instead of love and joy and peace, we struggle with, with anger or, or, or um, distrust or loneliness and all these other things. What God wants to give us is something solid. When we sin, we become alienated from God, separated from God, and we lose the things that come along with what God is. Those things. What, is also, what are some other things, other consequences? Well, another consequence in that break with God is that sin makes us guilty before God. And so here's, we should just understand, the Bible also talks about sin 
as basically just like you just you just you broke the law, right? You violated what God has to say. It's to say that what we believe as Christians is that the universe does have an order to it, right? And you should be surprised by that. That's something I've mentioned. Like there is order to our universe, right? The, the, there's, we have days that operate a certain way. We've, we've never, never in your life have you had a 28-hour day, right? Never in your life has the year, so one year was 365 days a year, and next year it was 500. Like, you never know what year, what it's going to be. That's never happened, right? All around you speaks to some type of order and design and intentionality, right? What's true physically is also true morally. There is order to our morality. There is, there, is a, there is a right and a wrong. In the same way as gravity, right? In the same way as the sunshine. There is a right and wrong. There is order. There's a, there's, a, there's a law to this world, a moral law determined by God. And when we break it, well, we stand guilty before God, right? And so sin, a consequence of sin is us being guilty before God, who is the rightful judge, who set up this order in the way that he set it up, and we violated, we've broken it. Those are some of, I mean, just others I could list. Here's some, those are just some examples of consequences of sort of sin and that kind of, between us and God, how it breaks us, um, how it breaks our relationship with God and the consequences of that. Let me sort of think now about the consequences of us personally, the break in us because of our break with God. Here's another way to Bible, here's one way the Bible would describe some of those consequences is that sin corrupts and deforms us. That's a consequence of sin. It's to say that like, I think what's the really, what's, what's, what hurts about sin is like we, it affects even the good things that we do, even our good attempts at things. As Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquity is like the wind take us away. So you notice it says there, like our righteous deeds, the things we want to do good, they're stained, they're polluted, right? There's things we, 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 we do and yet, because of where they come from or how we do it, 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 it's not what it should be, what it could be. Titus 1.15, to the poor, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. For both their minds and their consciences are defiled. You know, I have friends who have said and posted true things, said and posted true things this past week, and yet it's clear it's coming from such a mean and harsh heart, a prideful heart. It almost, it hurts the impact of the true right thing they're saying, right? Um, one of the things we see from Jesus is he says true things. He says them firmly at times, but it always comes from this intention of a godly intention, right? That, that's the difference of Jesus. The difference with us is we can say true things, do good things, and yet we may do them and say them in order to feel a sense of superiority over someone, to dunk on someone, right? That's what we're talking about here. Sin corrupts us. It defiles us. It's a consequence of our sin. Another consequence is that sin enslaves us. Sin is like this master that can, that can control you and constrain you. And, and so think of some particular areas that people struggle with, like lust or anger or addiction. One of the things I notice is how often, those are just examples of how those particular areas, there's others as well I can mention, but like it's almost, it's not just like, oh, I struggle with this. It's like, it's like slavery, right? It's like captures them and confines them. It's like, for some people, it's like it affects everything they say and do. It's a consequence of sin. Those are personal consequences. And then also the Bible talks about, might say, more general universal consequences of sin. Sin, just in general, disrupts all of creation. So creation, just remember how God 
created creation, meant to exist good and in harmony and peace. Our world is not like that. We got natural disasters, we got wars, we got conflicts, we got division. God did not make it that way. He didn't intend it that way. The problems that we have, the problems in our world and our creation, the way the, our, our natural order does disrupt at times. Again, the Bible would say that's, there's a reason for that. It's, it's a result of sin. It's a consequence of sin. But then, really, there's an ultimate consequence of sin. And the ultimate consequence of sin is that sin eventually kills us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So sin quite literally brings physical suffering and death into our world. But what's in mind here is not just sort of physical death, but also what we would call spiritual death. Spiritual death in the ways that we just described, alienation from God, apart from God. We're dead in our sins. The Bible, though, says, goes further and says spiritual death eventually leads to the eternal death of hell. Where we're forever apart from God, facing the consequences of his righteous judgment. And at that point, you should understand, sin becomes like a permanent condition. You think of what hell is. Hell is, is us under God's judgment, but also locked in to our trajectory. That, like, it's like if you keep going towards, towards over a cliff, eventually you go over the cliff. Right? So if you live a human life apart from God, away from God, sin, the ultimate result of sin is that you fall into that eternal death forever apart from God. And hell is us sort of, it's like you forever being, it's like you being locked always in your anger, in your lust, in your pride, in your apathy. That those who are in hell are sort of stuck in the choices that they've made. <laughs> forever in that trajectory. There's a key verse just Sort of that I think maybe this sums up a lot of what we talked about here. Romans 3, 10, Romans 3, 10 to 12. Um, as it is written, oh, right? yeah. as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But I was saying like, look, when you think about who God is and what he stands for, sin is, is an example of how we don't do that. None of us do it. And in the way we should understand sin is, is like it's such a rebellion. I mean, again, sometimes it's hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around this, right? And because we're, we're sort of looking at it from our vantage point. Like we think we understand what's right and good and true. We don't understand how from God's vantage point, and the way he made this world, what sin is. Sin is this, such a poison, a violation, such a corruption. Like God rightly stands against it. He has to. Our statement of faith talks about us standing under the wrath of God because of his sin. And we hear that word wrath, again, we, because um, well, we, we tend to think, I think, of, of something different than what the Bible is actually meaning when it speaks of the wrath of God. Uh, I think I've said this before. I mean, think of, think of just the natural revulsion, the anger you feel when you see something really wrong happening. So for me, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a news report about children being mistreated, right? I think almost any of us here. You hear these things or you, you see reports of, of people being sexually abused, of, of people being ignored uh, because of their sexual abuse. I mean, we, those kind of things, domestic abuse, that, like, that natural, it's not, just, it's not just even a revulsion. It's just like a, a righteous fury. Like, how can that happen? Will someone do something? That, that feeling is, a, is an echo of what God feels. <laughs> When he looks at our world and sees the sin that's there. Because remember, God is perfect, 100% perfect, so he, and he sees everything, knows everything, understands everything. He sees all the dimensions. He sees 
God alone sees the full nature of our sin, of what we've done. What we've done to our lives, what we've done to the world he's made. So that's why we speak of God being just and right to stand against him. That's why we can be held responsible for our sin. But the poison, the violation, the corruption of sin, we rightly stand under, again, not just his, his, when I say his judgment, I often say his righteous judgment. It's not just arbitrary. It's God, that one of the things that the Bible says that I believe is that when we stand before God and all the evidence is laid out, none of us is going to be like, oh, no, you messed it up, God. Let me call this last witness. And God's going to be like, oh, whoa, I was not expecting that, right? There's going to be no exhibit B or C that you're going to pull out and show that like, oh, well, yeah, sure, I sinned, but it's okay that I didn't follow you, right? What the Bible says is if God is perfectly righteous, perfectly just, and we, even in our sin, get an understanding that, of what righteousness and justice is, that means when we stand before God, and the Bible even says that, when, we, when the Bible speaks of us standing guilty before God, that no one is righteous, that does mean one day all people who are apart from God will, we might, they won't like it, but will accept it. That there's no one in this universe who will be able to say that was not fair. Now, just again, that's why we have court cases, right? And so that's why the Bible talks about our lives being laid out before God, right? And so sometimes we think, like, I'm not sure what this case is going to go, and then you see all the evidence, and you realize, okay, wow, th- this is the fair judgment here. What the Bible is basically saying is like, look, when all the evidence is laid out, <laughs> you're living apart from me, like. You, there's a righteous judgment that comes because of your sin, and you won't disagree. No one will disagree. And that's, that's, that's a heavy thing to say, and I, I do intend you to sit in it a little bit. And I want you to sit in it more, less in the like, well, wait a second. Like, I, I know I'm going to be okay. <laughs> sit it more in the sense of like, oh, if God, there really is someone in this universe who is perfectly righteous and just and fair. Will I really measure up against that? Will my life measure up against that? That's what we believe, right? There's sin. We face God's righteous judgment. But there's a dot, dot, dot to it. There's more to say. One of the things that you see in our statement of faith is, yes, there's God's righteous judgment, but that's matched up by God's forbearance and patience. If there's, God's not just, hey, I'm going to judge sin. If God was just, I, I need to righteously judge sin, we should expect creation to be deleted already, right, in the next minute, <laughs> right? God's pressed the delete button and he's done. If God only had that in him. But one of the things we believe is that God is righteous and just, but God is also patient, amazingly patient, graciously patient, that God waits and delays because God does not want us to face that judgment alone. He's patient and fair, providing a way for us to be restored to him, for our sin to be dealt with. This is from our statement of faith. Uh, The supreme need, then, of all human beings is to be reconciled to God under whose just and holy wrath we stand and the only way forward. So imagine imagine it ended there. I mean, like, whoa. But here it is. And the only way forward is to receive the undeserved love of this same God who alone can rescue and restore us to himself. Man. That's just, I praise God for this. This is one of the most important and best descriptions of God. One of my favorite descriptions of God 
And I think I can call it one of my favorite because it's all over the Bible, right? It's in Exodus, it's in Nehemiah, it's all over the Psalms, multiple times in the prophets, places like Joel and Jonah. It's this description we hear over and over. And you hear something over and over from in the Bible, it's like, here's, here's, if you want one way of understanding who God is, here it is. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Over and over in the Bible, we hear this description. I've made this point many times at Roosevelt. We are blessed that those qualities aren't reversed. <laughs> that it's not God is abounding in anger and slow in steadfast love. <laughs> right? It could be that. It could be that. God abounds in his righteous anger. Right? Justice immediately. And he's slow in his death. He's stingy. In his steadfast love. No, God has righteous anger, as he should, against us. And yet he also has love, and God is allowing his love to be on top of his anger. He, he, is allowing, he, he leans in towards us in abundant love. That doesn't mean righteousness and justice won't happen. But like, and again, in many ways, he's unlike us. Something bad happens, and we want the court case immediately. We want the judgment immediately. We want the execution immediately. We have a God who's delaying, who's patient. And why does that? Because he's showing love towards us. Love for what reason? To rescue and restore us. See, let's understand, sin is not a minor problem for us. Sin is like us totaling the car. Sadly, our family has much experience with this. We have totaled multiple cars <laughs> in our lives. And we told them and we still try to drive them around. Sometimes you know how it happens. Like, you, you, I don't know if you've had this happen. I'll explain this. You total a car, and you, but it's still somewhat drivable. Not really, but like <laughs> uh, you think you can get away with it. But the reality is it's dangerous to drive a total car. You can't get insurance on it. It's going to break down on you, right? A total car, well, a car can't fix itself. It's totaled. If you really pay attention to the biblical storyline and the way the Bible talks about sin, Honestly, if you're just, you just pay attention to our world. You study human history and all the things that have happened over the course of human history. If you just pay attention to some of the ugly stuff that's happened in your life or the life of other people around you, like, I think it's an inescapable conclusion that humanity shows evidence of being a total car. <laughs> we show a lot of evidence of deep brokenness in us. Like the ugly, mean things we can say and do and feel. Like, just, I'm, it's astounding, really, to me. I'm, just, I'm astounded at myself, the kind of things I allow myself to think and feel. The words that come out of my mouth times. That I, I'm going to pull it back in, but I can't. It's out there. In many ways, sin is evidence of, of, of a totaled car, a busted up souls. We can't fix it. We can't fix ourselves. And that's why we should be thankful we have the God we have. In the way that he is, a God who can fix it, who fixes it by showing patience towards us, not immediately judging us, but in abundant, gracious, undeserved love, paying the astronomical cost, the eternal cost of our sin, paying it through Jesus so that by faith in Jesus, our sin is forgiven, our corruption is healed. Like all the ways I described sin, all those things God deals with, corruption fixed, sin healed, us reconciled back to God, us restored and renewed, sin paid for, 
I mean, I spent a big bit of time this morning describing sin and the scope of sin, the power of sin. It is great, but Jesus is greater still. Jesus is greater still because we have a great God who rescues and restores us to himself. So what do we do with this? Number one, admit your sin and confess it. Admit your sin and confess it. I almost want to be like, like, what are you waiting for? Like, why, why tell the lie to yourself that there's not issues in our own souls, in our world, and like, I don't know what answers you're coming up with to explain them. The Bible is giving you not just a good answer. It really is. It makes sense if you think about it. Why the things are the way they are. This belief we have here at Roosevelt is something to admit and confess. We admit and confess it in our world, in our society. Admit and confess it in your own life. Confess it so you might be brought back to God. What I desire for you is to be back in a relationship with God like you were meant to be. That can't happen apart from something very honest you need to do. Confess your sin. However it is, whatever it looks like. Confess your sin to be brought back to God and then confess your sin as part of life with God. As part of life with God. The Christian life is not about being perfect. You may have been told that and you were told wrongly. Right? Whatever background you came from that told you like the Christian life is about being as perfect as possible. Some of the best Christians I know are kind of busted, right? <laughs> they, they, they're a mess. But some of the best Christians I know because like they confess their sin like all the time, like regularly, all the time. They're always going back to Jesus, always going back to God. And over time, God does help them and heal their sin, right? I'm not saying they stay busted forever, <laughs> But that's what it is. That's what this is. Like, I'm asking you to have a relationship where you can be honest about how many times you screw up, how many times you don't do the things you're supposed to do, how many times you feel and think things you shouldn't. To step into a relationship with someone who can hold that, who can hold that and knows what to do with it, who will take your confession and because you have faith in Jesus will forgive you and heal you and help you take that better path. It might be an inch in the right direction. It might be way more than that. But every single time, even if it's the same sin, you got to confess it for months and years at a time. You have a God who says, every time you honestly confess it and seek my help and repentance, I'm there for you. And the ultimate end for all of us is restoration and rescue and salvation. This is the God we have. This is the God we have. I don't know what other gods you're looking for, but that's a pretty good one. <laughs> I don't know what other else you got in your life going on. But I'm going to tell you, for me, like, that is a great one. I need that. I need that. I have that. Let's pray that we would see what God has to offer, hear it, and step into it to confess our sins and be rescued and healed. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for the most honest relationship we can have in the universe, one with you, where we can confess all the ugly, all the dirty, all the busted, all the corrupted, as many times as we need to, but as long as we confess it and repent, Lord, you hear us and heal us. Because, Lord, yes, we are in a sinful world and we're sinful people, 
Lord, how freeing of what it is to say that. We're a sinful world, we're a sinful people, we're in sinful relationships, we're, we do sin in our works, which is sin in our school, we do sin everywhere, Lord, <laughs> all over the place. But Lord God, you are able and ready to receive us. That Lord, you are abundant in your love. You have dealt with your sin and paid the price, a huge cost through Jesus, so that we can talk to you this way. And know that every single time you're doing something in our hearts and souls to help us and heal us. And so, Lord, help us to be a confessing people. Lord, help us to be honest and confessing people. To not act as we have it all together, but to act as you have it all together. And the closer we get to you, the more we'll have it all together. So, Lord, provide that, Lord, for more people today than before. Uh, Lay that path down before us. Lead us in your ways of truth and righteousness by faith in Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.